people are the most consequential and dangerous forces on earth. Well, personality psychology is about the nature of human nature. It's about people. And wouldn't that be useful to know? I mean, it seems to me, I can't, I can't think of a more important problem. You're listening to the Science of Personality podcast, brought to you by Hogan Assessments, the global leader in personality assessment and leadership development since 1987. Your hosts are Hogan Chief Science Officer and world-renowned personality psychologist, Dr. Ryan Sherman, along with Hogan PR Manager and resident storyteller, Blake Lepp. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Science of Personality podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, along with my co-host, as always, Blake Lepp. Say hello, Blake. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast, episode 66. Today, Ryan and I will continue our annual end-of-year tradition by breaking down our top derailers of the year. It seems like yesterday that we were recording our 2021 derailers of the year, but here we are at the end of 2022 with another new year knocking on the door. But before we dive into this year's list, we want to thank all of you, our loyal listeners, for your continued support. When we started this podcast back in 2020, we had no idea it would grow to the point it has. But here we are two and a half years later with listeners from all corners of the world who make every bit of time and effort we put into this well worth it. 2022 is our best year yet, both in the amount of episode downloads and the quality of our guests. We really feel like we're hitting our stride now, and we expect to take the podcast to another level in 2023. So, Ryan, anything for our listeners? Well, yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, say thanks as well to our listeners. Uh, of course, it's it's just amazing. I mean, I, it seems like everywhere I go or wherever I travel uh, or uh, periodically on LinkedIn, I get messages from our listeners saying, uh, you know, hey, I listen to the podcast. Um, love that episode. I, of course, I always try to send those on to our guests when we have guests on those episodes to share that um, with them. And, and, you know, I really do appreciate the support. It's so cool. Uh, to be in so many different places around the world and have somebody come up to you and go, hey, I listen to the podcast. Um, so yeah, I mean, totally appreciate the listeners. But I also want to add a little appreciation to some of the people who work on our podcast behind the scenes. Obviously, some folks from your marketing team, Blake, uh, contribute a lot to some of the ideas we bring onto the podcast, uh, including in today's episode. But of course, uh, we have a great editor and uh, John Joyce, who uh, I think doesn't get as much credit on this podcast uh, uh, for the work that he does for every episode to help us put these podcasts together to get them ready to deliver to uh, to our amazing listeners. So um, I just want to say thanks to 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 all of those folks as well. Yeah, and a huge thanks to a, a new addition to our team this year uh, on the marketing team, uh, Kelly Ledbetter. She has been if you been reading our blog at all and you see the recaps of these episodes, that's the person behind the scenes on that. Um, if you've seen our LinkedIn posts here in just the past uh, couple of episodes, we're starting to do some flashy things with graphics and audio. Uh, and, and that's thanks to Neelay Patel on the marketing team. So just wanting to give a shout out to those people. And, and Ryan, what you said earlier about, you know, you know, you being out there somewhere, you know, out in the world or whatever, and somebody says, you know, Hey, I, I, I like your podcast and all that. I had a strange uh, thing happened last week, and hopefully, hopefully she's listening. But there was a, a woman from um, uh, who was in town who works for our distributor out of Australia and New Zealand, Peter Berry Consultancy, and uh, you know she she came up to introduce herself, and she just said, "You must be Blake." 
I recognize your voice. <laughs> and I was, I was a little taken aback by that because um, that's, that's whenever you kind of realize, oh, wow, this is, this is something, you know, people listen to this all over the place, you know? So um, it was, it was really neat. So a shout out uh, there because I was, uh, I was really kind of stunned and shocked by that, but it was also really cool at the same time. So thank you for that. <laughs> Well, that that's really cool. And of course, you know, we just do this by voice, which I think uh, you know it helps. At least in my case, with people saying, you know, I have a I have a face for 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 podcasting. So, um, you know, so wow. I guess I guess we yeah. have that going for us. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do expect uh, us to be doing some more uh, creative, fun stuff in 2023. Um, I'm sure you're going to see more of the the video component, like we do with the science of personality. Uh, live uh, sessions that we've had a couple of those already, and we expect to have more in the future. So stay tuned for for some cool stuff that we'll be doing in 2023. But with that, let's get to the 2022 derailers of the year. So for those well, of you, well, just yeah, just, I was gonna say, yeah, Blake, do we want to set some context here? Yeah, that would yeah, be awesome. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. Why don't you tell them? Okay, the what cool. Here. Yeah, so I mean, for those of you who've listened to the past, you probably know uh, about our derailers of the year. But if you're a new listener uh, and this is your first ever derailers of the year episode, the idea here is to look at events from 2022, uh, or possibly people, or just any kind of situation in the past that's even been objects. Um, where uh, we, we've uh, tried try to represent some derailer from previous years, so uh, or in the previous year. So that's what we try to do here. We try to summarize some major events or major people or, or things that have happened in 2022 that represent each of our derailers. And what do I mean by derailers? If you're familiar with the Hogan suite of assessments, we have an assessment called the HDS, the uh, Hogan Development Survey. That includes 11 derailers, 11 ways that leaders or, or managers or executives get themselves into trouble, 11 ways that people can derail their own careers. And we think that each of these events sort of represent those. So what we'll do here is we'll go through each of the 11 derailers and we will uh, pick out an event or a person or something that happened in 2022 that best represents that. Well, okay. Out of the gate, the first one is Excitable, and the 2022 derailer of the year for Excitable goes to Will Smith. Um, for those of you who um, maybe weren't paying attention, this did happen earlier in the year, so that's one of the tricky things about this list is uh, it's always uh, easier to think of the things that have happened in recent months, but whenever Will Smith gets on stage, just moments before he was about to accept the uh, the Academy Award for Best Actor, uh, Chris Rock, a uh, comedian who was uh, uh, hosting, he had a joke that was directed toward uh, Will Smith's wife. And uh, Will Smith, uh, uh, in a, a, a moment of uh, anger, uh, walked up on stage and slapped Chris Rock in front of everybody in the entire world. So, uh, Ryan, what, what were your thoughts on this? Because this was obviously a very, very shocking moment that people did not see coming. Well, that was a big part of it, right? It was a big shock. I think uh, there was a lot of speculation, at least initially, about whether this was planned, whether it was fake, whether it was, you know, because it was such a, a dramatic thing. But I think it is really representative of Excitable because, uh, you know, that's what excitability is really about. It's about um, 
being under stress or being under pressure or, or, or just feeling, um, uh, just having a sudden outburst that is typically uncharacteristic, uh, or that most people might say is uncharacteristic of you, right? So, uh, that's the trick with a lot of derailers is that they're always sort of there residing inside you. Um, but they don't always show up, right? And, and and this is one of those situations where you might like, holy cow, we learned something about Will Smith. At least, you know, his reaction to to this, uh, you know, stressful moment. Um, and of course, th- these things also show up in it, as is the case in in many of these events when people are drinking, right? So whenever we are letting our guard down, uh, or we're just sort of not self monitoring, we're um, not uh, monitoring our own behavior, that's when these kinds of things can show up. And I think that's exactly what happened with Will Smith is, um, you know, a a moment of stress, maybe a little bit of alcohol. And um, all of a sudden, this sort of anger, this sort of outburst comes out in in full public display. And it's had really dramatic consequences. And I actually haven't followed it too closely. As As you mentioned, this did happen way earlier in the year. Uh, I think, though, he was um, at least temporarily removed from the academy or something like that. I don't know, if Blake, if you if you know for sure. I, I don't know that it's just it's temporary. I think it's it's for an extended period of time. I, I, I don't have the exact amount of time that it was. But, yes, he's it, it does not appear this if he's going to be attending the Academy Awards anytime soon. The, just the crazy thing about that. And I mentioned it earlier was this all happened and this was. Just, I, I mean, minutes prior to him winning the right. the, the award right. for best actor, and so and and so you have a crowd full of people not exactly sure how to react. I think in this moment, it's like, yes, he was defending his wife, and you know that's something that I think a lot of people would see as as noble. But to what extent in a public forum like this, and I think it leaves an audience confused as to how are they supposed to react in this situation? Um, but it, it, it was just crazy that you see a guy who obviously had a, you know, what one could consider assault if Chris Rock had wanted to press charges um, being uh, applauded in, in such a public way. Uh, it was just, it was interesting to see. I don't know that we'll ever see anything like it again. What I, I have heard, and I think we'll probably find out more, but uh, word on the street is Chris Rock's new comedy material uh, is incredible. I don't know how much or if any of that focuses on Will Smith, but by all accounts and, and the people who have seen it live are saying that he's that vintage Chris Rock whenever he really rose to fame uh, in, in, as far as his uh, comedy routine is going. So I'm really interested to, to see that. I'm sure as um, a lot of the people everywhere out there are looking forward to seeing that just to see what he has to say. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting, right? It's sort of in some respects, um, not that his career was, uh, you know, dead or dying or anything like that, but it's sort of uh, created a revitalization of, of Chris Rock's career uh, to some extent as well. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see when it comes out, but I'm sure it's just a matter of time. But moving on to our next 2022 derailer of the year, this one is skeptical. And that award goes to Magnus Carlson. Ryan, do you want to explain to those who maybe aren't familiar with who Magnus Carlson is, you know, a little bit about him and, and why we chose him as skeptical? 
Yeah, so I think we talked maybe about him briefly in our episode on uh, top performers or the sort of uh, uh, the, the, the superstar effect episode. Right. Um, but uh, for those of you who are not familiar, Magnus Carlsen is the current reigning world chess champion. He won't be very soon because he has uh, declined to defend his title. Uh, instead, two other people are, are going to be competing for, for the, the title of the next world champion. But uh, he is the current reigning world chess champion, um, arguably uh, the best chess player of all time. Um, with one of the highest ELO ratings of, of any chess player of all time. And this is true in, in many different chess formats. But what makes him skeptical for 2022 is a pretty major news story that pretty much hit every news outlet uh, surrounding chess uh, cheating in chess, particularly over the board cheating in chess. And in this particular case, uh, Magnus had sort of implied if not directly accused and then somewhat later on pretty much directly accused this um, chess competitor Hans Niemann of uh, cheating in particularly in over the board chess and it was a very uh, dramatic situation for a while because it's like oh cheating in chess I mean how do you even do that how do you how do you cheat when you're over the board um, you know that the, these uh, events have very uh, strict um, uh, criteria in terms of what you can bring in with you. You can't have your phone. You can't. You basically you can't have anything on you. You have to go through metal detectors and all of these kinds of things. But it created a lot of controversy, particularly at a, a tournament in uh, in St. Louis, where uh, Hans Niemann beat Magnus Carlsen in a in a, in a match. Uh, Carlsen, who had been suspicious, and which is this is the tie in with skeptical of of Niemann uh, cheating, uh, then withdrew from the event. He just said after that, I won't play in this event anymore and actually left the event. And um, later on, they had to play each other in an online event. Uh, in that event, um, Hans Niemann, uh, I think actually maybe Magnus made the first move and then Niemann made a move and then Magnus resigned. He basically refused to play against this person. And it's all under this guise or this... this um, skepticism about Neiman and whether he is playing fairly. And then it's really driven in part by Magnus, but he's not the only one. There's actually a large number of people in the top chess player community who also uh, suspect that Neiman is uh, cheating in over the board chess. Now there, there's a very, it's very difficult to understand how it could be. There's all sorts of conspiracy theories, which I don't want to get into on the podcast because uh, some of them uh, have some very, um, uh, creative locations of where someone could have a device that might signal them about what moves to make. Um, but uh, as adding more sort of fuel to this controversy, um, the, the major chess website, chess.com, uh, did put out a report and they actually published the entire the whole chain of emails and things. And I think it was some of it was in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Uh, detailing all of these discussions with various cheaters on their website who are grandmasters. These are people who are grandmaster level and including in there is, is Hans Niemann who had cheated when he was a teenager. Um, and, and so there's all this controversy about, well, look, he was a teenager. Yes, he cheated in a few games, but you know, you know, mistakes that teenagers can make versus now. And, and in any case, the whole thing is, has been pretty dramatic. And um, I think it really represents because it, the deal is everyone who's analyzed this game, this particular game between Neiman and Carlson, where Carlson said, that's it, I quit, I'm not going to play him anymore. Uh, pretty much everyone said there's no evidence that Neiman actually cheated in that game. 
Um, so uh, I, for, for me, uh, I think this, this uh, shows a pretty strong representation of what it means to be skeptical, to, to say, nope, I think you're cheating. I, I'm not going to play you. Well, it is odd because, like you said, Magnus Carlsen is considered to be one of the greatest of all time. So it, it, it it's pretty shocking. Um, and, and then also, you know, we don't again, we're not going to get into the details on on the conspiracy theories around how uh, he might have been cheating. But we can say that um, one of the primary drivers of that being played out in the public uh, arena uh, was due to a tweet from someone else who we'll talk about on this list a little later so um, uh, yeah for sure yeah. well I, i'll say another thing is that at, at the time of this recording um neiman has actually filed lawsuits against carlson against another chess streamer hikaru nakamura and several others who sort of implied that he cheated because it's really been a disaster for his uh, career right if the world chess champion says i won't play with you well, every major tournament is going to have the world chess champion in it, right? They all want to have the world chess champion in it. And if he won't play with you, guess what? That tournament is not going to invite you to play, right? They right. want him, not you. So it's really very damaging for, for his career. So, so there's a lawsuit pending, and, and we'll see where that goes. That's a $100 million lawsuit, I believe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a big one. So. Uh, moving on to our next derailer of the year. This one is cautious, and it goes to China's zero COVID policy. Um, I think many of you all have seen that, um, you know, that was China's goal was to get to zero COVID, which is obviously, you know, quite quite the challenge. I mean, it's I think it would be, you know, as as someone living in the U.S. where there's, you know, 300 plus million people, um, I can just see in my day-to-day -day life how difficult that that would be, that policy would be to attain. Um, then amplify that, you know, take that times three where you're looking at a billion people, a billion plus people, and how difficult that might be. So, Ryan, I'm curious, maybe give, give uh, us your thoughts on this and, and a little bit of um, a description of what we mean by cautious. Yeah. So, I mean, the big deal here with cautious is, is, you know, it's afraid to make a mistake, afraid to make any errors, afraid to take chances. And, and that's what we see, um, you know, uh, in managers who are high cautious is their, you know, unwillingness to, to take a chance. They don't want to make a mistake, anything that, that might seem um, ruinous. And, and that's what it seems to be happening with the uh, zero COVID policy. Of course, the problem with being too cautious, it sounds good, right? If not, not making mistakes is that you also miss out on opportunities. And that's the real rub here with China's zero COVID policy. It's hard to get really accurate data um, out, out of China or in really anywhere around China. But most people estimate that it's it's cost somewhere um, around 2.2% in GDP loss just this year, just in 2022, uh, to the tune of about $384 billion in GDP growth. Uh, uh, for China. But of course, there's been the sort of social consequences as well. And Blake, did you want to say something about that? Well, yeah, I mean, it did. It led to um, protests that in a place where it, it maybe isn't as likely to see protests or, um, you know, in, in the United States, you know, there's a different type of uh, culture where, you know, you might see protests here or there for, for any, any reason you know, good, bad, just cause, unjust, whatever, you know, people will just protest to protest, but, you know, maybe due to um, the structure of 
uh, the society in China. I would say that it maybe is less likely or maybe force people to protest, maybe even a little bit more. Um, I, I don't know if dangerous is the right word or just not not something that people think is worth uh, the the time and effort to do in China. But this certainly did lead to protests. Um, and I think it was centered around uh, there was a, a bill, uh, an apartment fire, I believe, that um, they had people quarantined in there. And there were people saying that the exits were barricaded. But, you know, again, we don't know if the information is accurate that's coming out or not. But whatever happened, there was a kind of a tipping point where uh, people just had had enough uh, due to all of this. China has dialed back. Uh, their restrictions a little bit on the zero COVID policy in the wake of all of this. So we'll see how all of that plays out. But it, it's an interesting situation to observe from afar. Um, and also just to kind of see how these different com- countries are handling uh, COVID moving forward. Um, and, and hopefully it's something that we don't have to continue to, to harp on whenever we're, um, you know, in our day to day lives for, for the years to come. But as of now, you know, three years later, here we are. So well, and the connection to cautious there, I think, is I think is sort of observable in in the sense that look, a lot of uh, nations got pretty cautious, you know, when COVID first got here. But as vaccines have come out, uh, as treatment plans have have been put together that are better, uh, you know, a lot of those nations have have backed off on some of that policy. And so when we talk about someone being cautious, what we're talking about is is sort of being overly cautious, right? I mean, there's, there's, uh, it's sort of over responding to the circumstance or over responding to the situation in a way that, that it really avoids any potential for mistakes. And, and so it's not about, you know, oh, you know, people who are low cautious don't want to, uh, don't, don't care. They just make all kinds of mistakes. It, it's always, it's, it's about the proportional response, right? Are you responding proportionally to the degree of actual threat? <clears throat> yeah. Well, um, We'll just see how these things play out moving forward. And I'm curious to see who's going to be on our list next year for cautious. And hopefully it's not something related to COVID next year. Hopefully we have something else we can talk about. Yeah, we've almost finally eliminated COVID from our derailers. I think it's been the thing that's sort of hung around every year for this list. Right, right. Or if it wasn't, if it wasn't COVID, it was something that COVID probably caused. Right. You know, so, uh, Moving on to our next derailer of the year, this one is reserved. And for reserved, we chose Quiet Quitters, which is something that we had a, a podcast episode earlier this year on, on this topic. But Ryan, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what we mean by reserved and, and why that would apply to Quiet Quitters? Yeah, sure. So reserved means really pulling away. It means keeping uh, distance. It means, you know, if you're feeling stressed, um, just, uh, you know, not connecting with others. Uh, in, in office managers, one of the things that you might see uh, among highly reserved uh, leaders is uh, when, when under stress or under a lot of pressure, they sort of close their office door. They're not available. Uh, they, they, they uh, are you know, presumably working on whatever the problem is, but, the, but they just aren't, aren't there and available. And that really, I think, in some ways describes quiet quitting. It says, I'm only going to go in here and, and do the minimum amount. I'm going to uh, avoid interacting with everybody um, I'm going to avoid the sort of um, engagement that you typically would want to see out of an employee, right? It, it's just sort of uh, saying I'm, I'm going to put in uh, uh, the minimal amount of effort, and so I'm I'm sort of quitting uh, 
but but doing so quietly, right? There's there's a lot of ways of quitting where you do so very loudly, and and you know I think of the uh, what what was the the oh, Jerry Maguire I think was the film right that popularized. <laughs> He's coming <laughs> with me, yeah. Sort of loud quitting, um, but uh, quiet quitting is more um, of of a reserved approach. It, it's keeping you know keeping things quiet, keeping a distance. Um, and uh, not interacting with others, but it's also sometimes uh, uh, being distracted from the actual task. So uh, avoiding doing any actual work or, avo- or just doing the minimal amount of work necessary. Uh, you know, I think that's the line from Office Space, right? It, you, it'll motivate you just enough to do enough to not get fired, and that's really what quiet quitting seems to be about: is just doing the minimal amount and and, and not associating with the rest of the group. Yeah, I, I think one of the interesting things to point out here is that reserved is not the only derailer that could be applied to quiet quitters. It was the right. one that we chose. I think um, for our next one that we'll cover, it could apply to that. It could also apply to you know mischievous uh, or you know a variety of things. But um, particularly for this one, Ryan and I honed in on the reserved element and, and how that applied to quiet quitters. But Looking at another one, which is our next derailer of the year, Leisurely. Um, for that one, we actually chose the supply chain. Uh, so, Ryan, do you want to explain what Leisurely means and maybe how uh, the supply chain uh, became the, the, the top choice for us on this one this year? Yeah, so Leisurely is really about... Uh passively uh, being being passive aggressive right so sort of in, in a passive way causing problems um you know i i had a, a secretary for some period of time that, that was really characterized by high leisurely um you know she would always seem publicly uh like oh everything's good you know all is good uh, but behind your back would do things that were that were problematic right would uh um uh, sort of c- never really make a public commitment to anything. Sort of avoiding um, <laughs> avoiding any any public trouble, but on, but on the backside causing a lot of problems. And that's really what I think about when we think about the supply chain. It's not something that's always in public view. A lot of the public doesn't think much about supply chain on a daily basis. So it's always something that's kind of in the back background, working back there, and it can cause a lot of problems when it's. Uh, sort of being aggressive, so to speak, or 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 uh, in this case, not not being filled, right? So when, when we have supply chain issues, that has led to, at least in part, uh, there, there's a whole bunch of things that, that seem to be related to inflation. But we know for part of 2022, uh, a part of the inflation was due to supply chain issues that, you know, I mean, still today, uh, you can't get a, it's very difficult, at least in the United States, to get a motor vehicle, right? So if you want to buy a certain type of vehicle, uh, it, it's difficult. Uh, the, the value of used cars is very high because of, of supply chain issues. So the, the way I think that is connected with leisurely is, is that uh, you've got this kind of thing in the background that's not really public facing, but it's really causing a, a lot of problems. Well, and I think the thing with this is, you know, maybe, maybe you work with someone who, who's high leisurely and, you know, it's maybe not a problem until it is, you know, and, and that's, I think, right. got exposed here. Um, the, these issues with the supply chain that, that really have, we started seeing these issues prior to 2022. It was really amplified this year. And, uh, you know, here in the U.S. just earlier this week, um, in, in, in a country that has, you know, had 
you know, it's it's divisive uh, issues here lately. Um, there's actually been bipartisan legislation. So, you know, Republican and Democrat um, coming together to introduce some legislation to address some of these gaps in the supply chain uh, and try to to you know, make this not as big of an issue um, should we face more crises like we have in recent years. And hopefully something can get done. But it's always a good sign whenever you see um, a, a culture or a society that has been divided in some sense for a few years uh, coming together on, on these things that really matter and trying to fix these issues. So for our next derailer of the year, this one is bold. And it goes to none other than Russia's own Vladimir Putin. So, Ryan, do you want to explain what, what we mean by bold and, and why Vladimir Putin would apply to this particular derailer? Yeah, the most defining characteristic of bold is, is uh, overconfidence uh, or, or having a lot of confidence, uh, or some people might say even uh, bordering on, on arrogance. Um, and I think it's a really clear case here that the uh, invasion or military operation or whatever you want to call it into the Ukraine uh, it was, a, was a bold move. It was a, a very confident move to say, that's it, we're going in, we're, we're taking the, these parts, right, declaring certain parts uh, back as part of Russia. I think anytime you're talking about a military invasion, that's pretty bold. And, and certainly the United States has been on their end of bold moves. Uh, on this front as as well. But I think for 2022, it's hard to find a more uh, bold move than than uh, than Putin's invasion of the Ukraine. And, and I mean, it's cost a lot of lives. It's actually, again, another one of these places where it's very difficult to get accurate numbers, but it seems like more than 100,000 lives have been lost already um, in, in, in this, uh, in, in the war in the Ukraine. Um, and I think the other thing that I think is related to to the sort of overconfidence here is it was one of those things where they thought, well, Russia's military is just far superior. It will roll over the Ukrainian opposition in no time. And here we are nearly a year later. And um, part of the some of the gains that Russia had picked up early in the war have actually gone, have lost back to the Ukraine. And they seems to be um, in sort of a stalemate, I think, uh, at the moment. Uh, which I mean says something about bold and overconfidence, right? We thought this would be an easy, you know, if you thought this would be an easy victory, it's turned out to be much more costly and much longer uh, than anticipated. Yeah, and I think you know there were there's been signs of this um, particular derailer um, coming from Putin in you know ever since he took over. I mean, think of think of his uh, what photo op wouldn't he? shirtless riding a horse or <laughs> right, something right. you know well, i mean this bold also has some correlation to narcissistic behavior and i think um if you see photos like that i mean i don't i score one on this particular scale so <laughs> the thought of taking my shirt off and riding a horse for a photo op makes me cringe a little bit um <laughs> but i think it should make anybody cringe a little bit but um you know i think that was Kind of one of those warning signs. Um, I think we could point to a lot of them. But yeah, this was certainly, um, I think it was still a surprising move in a way that he he did this. Um, and, it, and it happened just very shortly after the, the Olympics occurred. And I just think, yeah, this is the perfect 
poster child for bold in 2022. Let's hope that we see some kind of resolution so that he does not uh, become our first uh, two-time bold champion uh, in right. the trailer for the year because we'd really like to see this cleared up by the time we're recording this episode next year. So with that, we will move on to our next derailer, derailer of the year, which is Mischievous. Uh, this is my favorite because this is this is my second highest derailer. Uh, <laughs> and this one goes to Sam Bankman Freed. So, Ryan, do you want to explain what Mischievous is? I'm sure most of our audience has heard of, of, of Sam Bankman Freed or SBF as he's been uh, been called in, around the world. It's what he's more commonly referred to. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what what's going on and why we chose him? Yeah, so mischievous concerns, you know, really uh, bending the rules, breaking the rules, skirting around the rules, uh, just being a bit ornery uh, if we were speaking about little kids uh, as well. Um, or, or just in some respects thinking that the rules don't apply to you. Uh, but also at the same time being charming, being charismatic, being persuasive uh, are also characteristics that we so- see associated with with uh, being high on mischievous. And and Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, I think, really fits the bill here because the, the FTX thing raised huge amounts of money over some period of time. You have to be charming. You have to be charismatic. You have to be persuasive to get uh, the kinds of investments that FTX had. But obviously, they were spending that money uh, in um, uh, a really horrible way. Uh, it, it, again, it's difficult to get some estimates, but I, I read around $8 billion in total losses, um, $8 billion in total losses due to, due to some of the, the actions that FTX was taking under his watch. Um, the person who's investigating or sort of, no, I guess is the new CEO, right? Stepping in as the CEO of FTX to sort of clean up the mess uh, is a guy named John J. Ray III, which is the guy who uh, also stepped in to clean up the mess that was Enron after that scandal. Uh, he said it's even worse than Enron. He described a whole bunch of crazy things that they found. Basically, nothing was ever documented how any decisions were made. Uh, he said that Sam Bankman-Fried often would make decisions using, I don't know if it was Snapchat or something like that, but it reminded me of that, using some kind of um, uh, software that would automatically delete the message after some period of time, right? So the, the, he would send a message that would make a decision, but it would automatically be deleted after some period of time. So there was actually no record documenting that these decisions were made. Uh, there, there's reports, there's a report, I think, in the Wall Street Journal last week about making some $200 million deal while he was playing a, a, a computer video game yeah. at the same time, like like on Zoom, like in a Zoom meeting when he's actively playing the game and he's like agreeing to a $200 million deal. Um, you know, that's that's pretty mischievous. That's playing things pretty fast and loose. And then on top of it, like when all of this went down, you know, I think any sensible person would be like, hey, man, you're probably going to get arrested. Like this isn't good. And instead, he just spent his time hanging out in the Bahamas. Um, I think, again, uh, a, a sort of less mischievous person would have said, um, I'm going to get out of here. Let me go someplace where the U.S. can't extradite me, um, where, where I can uh, sort of uh, avoid arrest. But but he did not do that. And um, I, I'm going to guess he's going to go to jail for, for quite a while. Yeah, I, everything I've heard and... Um you know, any of the news podcasts I listen to, it, they, it's it's pretty clear that 
he's going to go to jail for quite some time. Now there was, um, he had another, um, sister company or organization, um, that funneled money to a lot of democratic lawmakers in, uh, in the United States Congress. Well, I, I think his line of thinking in the wake of all this has been, well, you know, I've taken care of these people. Um, and so hopefully they're going to take care of me. But the sense is that um, these Democratic lawmakers are looking at it like, no, um, this is very public and it's very bad publicity for us. So it might come back even worse than he thought than it could have potentially been because he kind of, in a sense, um, exposed them as well. So I don't think they're going to necessarily take that lightly. So uh, this will be an interesting one to to watch because he has been arrested by uh, authorities in the Bahamas, and we'll see how how all of this plays out. And I, I'm I'm curious, and I, I think you're going to uh, probably see some more um, discussions, maybe from a Hogan perspective, on Sam Bateman Fried. So stay tuned for that. That's a just a little. Uh, well, preview. I want to point out one other funny observation here, Blake, which is that. I mean, I, I think Freud would have something to say about this. His name is Bank, Bankman Freed, Bankman Fried, yeah. Bankman Fraud. Like what? I mean, like what? And Bankman. I mean, yeah, like right. Bankman, right? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, what is going on here? Yeah, uh, it, I had a, I had one of our coaches point out to me that he was recently doing a, a debrief for somebody. He said the person was, uh, you know, seemed to, to fit the profile for a, a white collar criminal. And, uh, he said the person's last name was fraudman. <laughs> so, so I thought, Oh geez, like, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Anyway, I just think uh, perhaps just a coincidence. Um, but, uh, perhaps not. And, and the last thing I want to do on this is that, you know, you know, with the mischievous behavior, which, you know, could be like charismatic, manipulative, uh, kind of thinking you can maybe talk your way out of things uh, against the advice of his attorneys. Uh, SBF uh, did a, a, what, a one-hour live sit-down interview with the New York Times. And that is a pretty, I mean, you could almost right. say a bold move as well. Um, but I just coming from um, a background where earlier in my career being at a, a PR agency, um, and dealing with attorneys whenever a client is in a crisis situation, um, in those closed door meetings, whenever those discussions are happening as to you know how we're going to deal with the media, what we're going to say to the media, what, um, how we're, how we're going to like, what's our strategy? What, you know, the lawyers almost always win in those discussions and they didn't this time. And I think this is highly due to, to, SPF's mischievous behavior and thinking that he was going to be able to talk his way out of this. Um, right. So that was, uh, and I don't think that really helped his cause that much. So just an interesting uh, observation from, from my perspective, looking at it through a PR lens, which is my, you know, background, but I think that's enough on SBF. I mean, we'll be hearing a lot more about him in the, in the coming <laughs> no weeks and uh, he might be spending many, many years behind bars, but, for our next derailer of the year, we have Colorful. And for that one, we chose the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. So, Ryan, do you want to explain what Colorful means and how that applies to Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and the whole spectacle that was that trial earlier this year? Uh, well, Colorful is all about being dramatic and attention-seeking. 
And uh, certainly, that uh, I, I think that that phrase, uh, you know, dramatic and attention-seeking, would characterize the trial. But it also, I think, would characterize both of the main actors in the trial, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Uh, this is, of course, not uncommon. In fact, actors tend to score quite high on Colorful anyway, whether they're on trial or not. Um, so I think this this whole saga, um, which was, you know, this, you know public, uh, essentially a public divorce, um, uh, was, uh, a real marker of, of what it means to be colorful, particularly if you go back and look at it. And of course, YouTube is a wonder here in terms of clips of, of each of them, you know, and the different things they were saying and their interactions with the lawyer and how sort of, you know, um, you know, sort of almost like playful, like banter that would sometimes happen or, um, uh, when, and, and just as the, all of the drama, right? The tears, the the feelings, the emotions that you could see, uh, I think is really representative of, of colorful. Well, you know, and that attention seeking, I mean, right. it certainly got the attention of people all over the world. I was actually kind of shocked. I haven't seen really uh, a focus on a trial like this since maybe OJ Simpson. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, um, yeah. I'm dating myself a little bit there. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was in, you know, middle school or whenever that was playing out. But honestly, it was just, everybody was talking about it. I actually just kind of tried to dismiss myself from it and ignore it because it was just, it, it, it whatever side you want to take on this, whoever you believe or don't believe, it doesn't matter. It's the whole spectacle that applies to colorful, regardless of whether you're you know, pro Amber or pro Johnny, it doesn't matter. It was, right. it was classic, colorful. And, uh, I'm, you know, we still see some of this stuff still popping up in the media, but, uh, but definitely takes the cake for colorful in 2022. Uh, for our next derailer of the year, we have imaginative. And for that one, we almost chose ourselves because, uh, just a little, <laughs> a little background here. Uh, Ryan and I were brainstorming, back and forth on imaginative and wow i mean just this is well i'll let ryan explain what we mean by imaginative and you'll kind of understand where our brainstorming session went from there yeah well we, we certainly looked at a whole bunch of things for imaginative and, and imaginative is really about being creative it's really about being overly creative um and sometimes in a ways that are totally impractical or, or almost nonsensical to anybody who's thinking about the problem logically. And so that was certainly the case as we were as we were thinking about uh, the winner for for this year's imaginative. Um, we uh, we came up with all kinds of things that uh, I'm I'm pretty glad. I think we settled on a really good one here. Uh, Blake, do you want to tell the listeners what it is? Yes. So for imaginative this year, we chose. CNN plus. So for those of you, you know, who are listening, maybe from outside the, the U S or, or, you know, I'm, where, I mean, if you watch CNN or, or, or aren't familiar with it, you know, it's just one of these, uh, 24 hour news networks that, um, you know, like Fox news or MSNBC, things like that. Um, uh, but all of those networks, um, essentially are seeing a decline in viewers, um, for a variety of reasons, you know, streaming, is bigger than ever and continues to trend in that direction. So that means less cable subscribers where these uh, networks uh, reside. Well, as they're seeing this decline in, in viewership, um, they decided, 
you know what, we're going to, we're going to invest a hundred million dollars in this, this platform, this CNN plus platform that people will pay five ninety nine a month to access this exclusive content. So Ryan, why do you think that was a bad idea? Well, as you mentioned, um, I mean, it was a heavy, heavy investment, but uh, they also found, um, uh, just looking at news, right? Like how much, where, where do people consume news and news ratings and things like that? And while TV ratings for news are probably not so bad, uh, certainly news consumption uh, in general seems to be a relative decline, or at least the way people get news, right? So a lot of people get news from social media feeds, Twitter, which is something we'll probably talk about later on here. Um, but um, it, it just seems pretty imaginative to think that you would get uh, lots of subscribers, people paying you money for CNN Plus, particularly when your other kind of competitors around there, you know, clearly weren't going in this direction, right? But I mean, the idea was to say, oh, you know, we're like Disney Plus or paramount plus or whatever it is um and clearly that didn't work what was it i think what just two or three days before it was scrapped it, it maybe i mean i think maybe it was, was launched day? in march and and was shuttered or was shut down in april i mean oh okay so it was a little longer <laughs> may, maybe i mean it, it, again this is one of those ones that occurs earlier in the year uh, but i was looking at some numbers and cnn actually projected that by the year 2030 they would have 30 million people willing to pay either $5.99 a month or $59.99 in U.S. dollars a year to access this service in a time whenever, I mean, first off, if, if, if you're seeing a decline, why do you think and people are going to pay more to access something that they're kind of not accessing at a at a steady rate more and more. Uh, so it just didn't seem to make sense. Um, so that kind of makes you wonder what were those discussions going on behind <laughs> closed doors? Well, who was doing their market research? Exactly. Um, so I think that is, that is classic imaginative. Um, and, you know, again, Ryan and I could have chose us. So don't be shocked if in <laughs> 2023, you see the science of personality plus, um, but you know we'll we'll get to that later. We'll we'll have some more internal discussions before we roll that out. But I'm I'm actually kidding everyone. We're not really going to do that. We're <laughs> not going to charge for content. So uh, uh, our next derailer of the year is diligent, and for diligent we chose Elon Musk. So Ryan, do you want to explain to our audience what we mean by diligent and why Elon is uh, the person we chose for this one? Well, I'll say a couple of things here. Uh, Elon could have hit a number of derailers uh, for us. Uh, he could have hit excitable. It could have hit bold. Could have hit mischievous. Could have hit colorful. There's a whole bunch of derailers that I think uh, Elon sort of uh, touched on in 2022. But one of the ones we, we the reason we chose him for diligent here is because diligent has to do with really micromanaging. Um, and, and getting really down into the weeds and details of things. And, and often in, in cases where you may not actually know all of the details that you're working on, right? So, and, and I think that's really the case as the Twitter example shows here. This is, uh, you know, Elon's had a long history of this though, this kind of micromanaging behavior. 
Uh, I think we talked before on our podcast episode about him, uh, about his, the way he micromanaged things at, at Tesla. So it's not really a big shock that he would be a micromanager for Twitter. Uh, what uh, has happened here is clearly a lot of that micromanagement has led to derailment. Uh, a lot of uh, even more recent, even since our, our, our podcast episode on Elon, he's, he seems to have gotten even more uh, somehow more into the public eye with with uh, the things that he's uh, talking about on Twitter. But I think the the real key to the derailment here is the sort of getting involved with a, a deep level on security things and things that maybe he didn't really actually understand. Not not that he doesn't understand a lot of things. He's clearly a smart guy, has a background in tech. But when you're talking about taking over a new company where you probably really don't know how the software was built, um trying to uh, tell people micromanage people on that software uh couldn't be really problematic as as we've seen yeah and you know, it's just it's it's just one of those things he just he keeps kind of uh he can't help himself in this case you know but the thing is whatever his approach has been though he's not the world's richest man for i mean or he is the world's richest man for a reason um I don't know exactly how a micromanager uh, of, of this capacity gets there, but something he's doing is working. Um, so that's why I think we're, we're interested to kind of take the wait and see approach as to what happens with Twitter, because he doesn't really have a long track record of failure when it comes right. to business dealings. So, well, it'll be interesting to see how long he continues to sort of micromanage, right? So one of the things that he mentioned early on was that he planned to, he planned to find somebody else to be a CEO, to find a replacement CEO. Now, we'll see how long it takes before that actually happens, but it does seem like that would be an important move to um, sort of relieve the, the micromanagement tendencies that, that, that we're seeing now that are, that are causing a lot of problems there. And uh, before we move on to our final derailer of the year, um, this is the person who maybe put out the tweet regarding um, the creative uh, location discussed in the Magnus Carlson. Oh, skeptical. right, right. So he's yes. Elon Musk is the one who kind of amplified that whole conspiracy theory. Uh, you all can go check that out on your own because Ryan and I would rather not discuss it. So uh, our next uh, and final derailer of the year is Dutiful. And for that, we chose the royal family. So, Ryan, do you want to at least tell the audience a little bit about Dutiful and what we mean by that? Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Dutiful, but I'm going to leave most of the discussion of the royal family up to you because this is not this is something my wife follows quite closely, but I'm really not up to speed on this. But what we mean by Dutiful is, is following the rules, deferring to authority, um, following some prescribed set of behaviors, not... Um, not bucking with with previous trends or, or previous ways of doing things, uh, waiting for orders, very common behaviors we see with people that are high dutiful. And my understanding, based on some discussions with my wife, maybe some discussions with you as well, Blake, is that the royal family really represents this in the sense that there's some commitment to duty, commitment to honor, to um, behaving in, in a certain way um, that may not match with 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 modern trends. Yeah. Okay. So th this is where I, yeah, I will chime in because I have uh, watched the, at least the first three episodes of the, the Harry and Megan 
docuseries on Netflix. I believe they released. My understanding is that you are far from alone in that, Blake, and that is becoming one of the most watched docuseries ever. I I I I think I'm right on this. I believe I read where it was. It was like the the highest rated uh, new release. I don't I don't know what the parameters are. Like how like what's the time frame? What do they consider there? But it's 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 a huge thing right now. And I believe uh, we're recording this on Friday, December 16th. I believe uh, just yesterday on Thursday, December 15th, they released more episodes. So I have not watched those yet, but I have watched the first three. And although I think we picked this for 2022, mainly because of how hot this documentary is right now and how, how much it's, it's out there in the public domain, but honestly, the the dutiful side of this has been going on for centuries. Right. <laughs> um, but I think what really stood out in the documentary that that made it made me want to choose this as dutiful is it was just following uh, Prince William and Prince Harry's uh, the the death of their mother, Princess Diana. Uh, it was. They were basically instructed that they they needed to uh, kind of smile and and you know shake hands with the press you know right after their mother had died you know if they're going to be out in front of the the public and the media is there um, they are supposed to put on a a brave face and and mm-hmm. do their their royal duty and 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 put off this kind of of image uh, that is pretty much required of someone of royalty in the UK, but thinking about how difficult that would be for kids to do that whenever their mother died. Uh, it's, it's, it's really kind of heartbreaking to see. Um, that said, you know, I still think it, it, there's just this fascination with the Royal family. And, and I kind of get it because you don't really, it, it, it is a bit unusual to our, to our, you know, as a U.S person but uh i also find how fascinating um it is that the uk kind of really em- seems to embrace the royal family and mm-hmm. and all all that it encompasses but this this documentary really is it's just showing us like how difficult it must be to be part of that family and and have i mean to do your duty i mean that is right. that is kind of what it it's all about and it, it it's sad but you know i don't know how else they they can approach it what i am curious to see is how long an institution like this can survive um or who's going to be the the person in the line of succession who eventually kind of maybe makes things a little less restrictive uh, and, and things like that. What's this going to, what, what's the Royal family going to look like a hundred years from now is what I'm right, saying. Right. So Ryan, I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that. No, but I, I think it's really representative of, of what it means to be dutiful is, is to, to, is to stick with the tradition, stick with the way things have been done. Um, even if you might not agree with them anymore. Exactly. But uh, again, you know, it's, it was also just another big year for the Royal family. You know, the, the, the longest serving uh, uh, queen monarch. monarch. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's what seven, 70 plus years. I believe what she take over in like 1949 uh, queen Elizabeth uh, passed this year. Uh, the UK also had, you know, their prime minister thing. So it was, it was a lot of 
things going on uh, across the pond with our friends in the UK, but we have such great uh, uh, partners and distributors in the UK. Uh, so, you know, we, you know, we're always interested to hear their thoughts on these things. And, and uh, we're just really, uh, you know, big fans of, of, of our friends over there. And we, we wish them maybe with a little bit better news in 2023. Right, right, for sure. Well, Blake, I, I just want to wrap up this episode by saying it's been an awesome year, man. Uh, I've had a lot of fun. We've had some amazing guests this year. Um, again, if you're just tuning in for the first time, I would encourage you to go back and check out some of the previous podcast episodes from guests from earlier this year. We've had some awesome topics to discuss, and we've got some pretty cool stuff lined up for 2023 as well. So super excited to get that going but uh, we won't be back uh, on that until January. Yeah, so we're we're about to break for the year, but Ryan, yeah, it's it's been great. We're uh we're having a lot of fun doing this. So, uh it's it's something that we we didn't know what it would be and it, it's pretty cool to to see this and to get the feedback that we're getting uh from people out there. So, we hope you continue to listen to the podcast and we wish you uh all a happy new year and we will talk to you all in 2023. So any, any more closing thoughts, Ryan? No, I think that's it. Uh, so, so grateful again to our listeners and um, yeah, looking forward to getting back at you in the next year. And that does it for the science of personality podcast, episode 66. We hope all of you had a fantastic year and we look forward to another big year in 2023. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Science of Personality podcast brought to you by Hogan Assessments. You can access all podcast episodes on our website, scienceofpersonality.com, or on the streaming service of your choice. See you next time.